Review and Inspiration. This is Marsha Paris. And this is Joshua Boussier, and we're here with Mark LaCour. He's an oil and gas expert, speaker, podcaster, and editor-in-chief of Oil and Gas Global Network. Thank you so much for being here today, and we look forward to having you on our show. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. And they just promised me free food after, <laughs> so I just showed up. So, uh, just kind of get us started, uh, get to know you a little bit. So, can you actually tell us the most exciting or most like, memorable thing that you ever did in your 20s? I ran a bar while I was in college. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most fun I've had in my entire <laughs> life. Actually, I'll tell you a secret a lot of people don't know. My advisor in college made me graduate. He goes, Mark, you've been here for too long. You've been here for six years. He goes, I'm going to name a building after you. And what had happened with me is I went straight from high school, did four years in the Marine Corps. After being cold and wet and shot at for four years, I decided to go to school. To. Went to school, started working at a bar. I was just having a good time. And so that was a very fun part of my life in my 20s. And eventually I had to enter into adulthood because somebody made me do it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, so getting back into like, interviewing inspiration, we're here with him because he boosts sales. He's an expert in the oil and gas field. So can you tell us a little bit about your, like, what you're working on right now? Um, what we're working on is we're growing the biggest podcast network in the oil and gas industry globally. We're already number one, two, three, and four, and we have about 15 <laughs> more shows in the works. And it's, it's all really good stuff. So we get to tell good, valuable, useful stories to our audience. And at the same time, we make a living at it, and we have fun. Yeah, that's, that's actually incredible. Um, that's absolutely incredible. So... Can you kind of bring us back a little bit and how did you get started in this? I know that you've done a lot of sales in your career. You've done a lot of podcasts now in oil and gas. How did you get started in all of this? How did I get started in the industry? About 25 years ago, I just needed a job. Mm -hmm. And I happened to know the phone company in the East, which is called Bell South. And they go, we have the perfect job for you, Mark. But we're telling you ahead of time, it's had declining revenue for about 20 years. And I go, I'll take it because I just wanted the job. Um, and what they did, I didn't know how wonderful thing this was at the time what they did is they gave me their entire oil and gas book of business so every oil and gas company that did business from louisiana to florida up to the virginias like if you drew a big circle was instantly mine i knew absolutely nothing about the oil and gas industry uh, the very first person i went to meet with was a lowly procurement guy with one of the majors out in california flew out there got up the next day my suit on tie my little briefcase and i walk in i stick my hand out and say hey i'm mark lacour i'm new, your, your new bell south rep and he's literally looking at an excel spreadsheet and he picks his eyes up which by the way is this an explicit podcast y'all have to bleep go, this part because yeah, i'm being real <laughs> yeah. so he, he picks his eyes up he looks at me he goes we have been paying tariff rates for over 50 years with your company why the fuck shall you be talking to you right now <laughs> that was my very first conversation <laughs> in the oil and gas industry um, and so that was my introduction. And um, during the next 10 years or so, I did really good work. I went through Hurricane Katrina with all the major uh, oil and gas organizations. I broke all kinds of FCC laws and company policy, just getting communications back up at ground zero. And they all appreciated that. Um, and so uh, I went from there to a research company where I had the oil and gas book of business. And then about eight years ago-ish, nine years ago, they capped my commission. And it just pissed me off. It's like, really? I make you an extra $20 million that you didn't ask me to make and you can't give me 10 grand of that? So I started Modal Point, which is my company, out of anger. <laughs> I was mad. I'll start my own damn company. So I did. And um, we were very successful. I mean, I think even to this day, if, uh, it'd be interesting to hear from your audience. If you open up your, a browser, Google or whatever, and type in oil and gas sales experts, organically, I still think I come up one, two, three, four, and five. Google thinks I'm the number one guy on the planet. Ooh, so awesome. when I was running that part of my business, can you imagine what that did for my business? Anybody in the world that was looking for oil and gas sales help saw me Ooh, first. Yeah. And so my phone rang off the hook. In the process of growing that business, I got involved in social media 
And my marketing guy came to me about five years ago and said, hey, we need to start a podcast. And I go, that's a stupid idea. I don't have time for that. <laughs> and he kept on and on and on and on. And eventually, honestly, I said yes. So he'd shut up, right? <laughs> and obviously, I was wrong. So fast forward to now, um, I no longer do the market research part. Modal Point's now my speaking platform. I get paid to speak. And I have the top four podcasts in the industry, and we're growing. And it's a little kind of uncomfortable when I meet new people. Like just the other day, we had one of our happy hours, and a guy asked me what I did for a living. I had to think about it for a second. It's like I, uh, I, I talk. I mean, that's literally what I do. So yeah. that's how I, that's how I got started, and that's how we ended up where we are now. That's awesome. Uh, what would you like? What would you say? Like, I know people, like especially like students, they want to be like on the top of that field. Like, how did you make it to be on the top four? What did you in the podcast world. That? In the podcast world. Yeah. So one of the things I brought to the podcast business that is unique and very valuable to me is I. I have 20 years of doing enterprise-level sales. I mean, I'm, a million-dollar deal to me is nothing, right? Because I've dealt with the biggest companies on the planet for a very long time. And so when I saw the opportunity that podcasts bring, instead of looking at it as in a passion project or conventional digital media where you have that cost per click or cost per thousand or whatever, which is how most digital media uh, people get paid or get measured, I go, that's the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to solve a problem for a big company and have they have them pay me for the podcast before it exists. So I can never lose money. I get money before the podcast exists. And so that I think that revenue model, I, I know that revenue model is different than every other podcaster out there. And that that huge increase in revenue for doing a podcast allows us to grow effectively. I mean, I now have a team. I have a, an audio editor on payroll. I have a, somebody write show notes on payroll. I have a webmaster on payroll. When you have all that type of support, and you have a passion around your podcast, you can now grow your podcast because you have the money to do it. And I think it's a mistake a lot of podcasters make is they think they don't monetize early enough. I think they want to try to grow this audience to get to whatever the magic number is and then try to make money. I, I say you should make money up front. Number one, as you go through school or life, if you're not making money, and eventually you'll stop doing it. Y'all know the statistics. Yeah. Most podcasters end after seven episodes, right? Yeah. Um, but if you monetize it, number two is you're also under contract which means you have to produce the shows, oh, right? Yeah, so it makes, yeah. you it makes you do it. And the more you do it, the more successful and the better you'll get at bottom line. That's, that's, actually real, that's really interesting. So you're actually, so your main focus is you don't wait until you have the audience. No. You'll build the audience. That's yes. what you're saying. You're actually going to go in there. You're confident enough that you're going to build the audience. Well, I'm, I, I'm confident enough that for certain problems, we know we can help company solve. At the same time, I'm very honest and transparent. We have a lot of companies, and if you're one of those companies, don't do this, because I'm going to tell you no. <laughs> we have a lot of companies that come to us and go, hey, we want to sponsor a podcast because we want you to help us sell our wrenches or our snowmobiles or whatever. And we go, no, podcasts are not a good medium to sell stuff, right? Podcasts are an excellent medium for something that's called organic brand recognition, right? So if you're a company and you have a new product or you have a name change um, or you have trouble entering a country or a vertical and you want people to know who you are, podcasts are excellent for that. So we only work with companies that have that problem. And if they have another problem that we can't help them, we tell them, no, we're, we're, not only can we not help you, we're not going to take your money. You don't want to basically take their money kind of thing and then not be able to produce it. If I can't, if I can't yeah. guarantee success, I'm not taking money. And, yeah. I, and I believe in that so much that it goes in our contracts. So part of the process when we have a new sponsor and a new show is we end up getting in a room like this and we do a whiteboarding session on what do you want to accomplish. And then we 
come back with what we know we can accomplish and how to do it. And eventually we're all in agreement. <clears throat> that then becomes language in our contracts. So if, if you want, you know, 10% of the population to know who you are and they didn't know a year ago, you can measure that, right? And that goes in the contract. So when it's time for my sponsorship to renew, not only can I prove I've done my job, but they're, I know they're happy because they're the ones that help me design the success metrics. And you can see how it's going. <clears throat> yeah. And at the same time, if we're missing it, I know. And that put extra effort to try to hit whatever that mark is. So if you lower that, you would do something else in order to go up. Yeah, and then what, what's happened over the over time is we've gotten better and better at knowing what we're good at doing. So now when we bring a new sponsor, we're pretty much 100% accurate If once we do the whiteboard setting on what we're going to accomplish because we know what we can and what we can't. You, you've seen what you've done. Yeah, from experience. I mean, yeah, experience is definitely something. I mean, for interview and inspiration, so we come here with people like Mark who has experience in the guests and everything. So we want to ask you about sales. That's huge for business students. I mean, if you know how to sell, you'll get a job. Uh, so can you tell us about that? Like, you're learn like how do you learn sales? Like, what's the best way to get into that? There's no best way. And let me tell you, for everybody out there that's listening that think, oh, I'm not going to have a sales job. Yes, you are. No matter what corporation, what company, even if you have your own business, you're going to sell. You may not sell externally. You may sell internally, right? So let's say you're an electrical engineer and you want to uh, – some new tools or new trucks for your, your guys, guess what? You have to go sell that to your boss. It's still selling, yeah. right? The thing about sales is it's constantly changing. Everybody understands that marketing has changed a lot because of technology. What most people don't realize is sales has changed just as much, right? So when I got my start 20 years ago, there was no internet. Mm -hmm. The only business communication tool was a telephone. There was no voicemail. I know I'm old. Yeah. There, there was no caller ID. So you literally could cold call. I had a team of 10 people that did nothing but cold call, and sometimes they'd make me an extra hundred or $200,000 a month. But it worked because the other person would answer the phone because they were happy. My job as a salesman back then was to educate. Mm -hmm. So I would go to Halliburton and go, here's all the stuff we can do, right? Yeah. And the Halliburton would go, I'm interested in that, that, and that. And then we'd go through the sales process. Mm -hmm. If you're that type of salesperson today, stop it. You're wasting everybody's time. Number one, you don't call people on the telephone because you're bugging them. You're interrupting them. Number two, they don't want you to educate them. If they want to find out what your company does and your competitors, they can spend five minutes on line and learn more than you know about your own company. In today's world, a salesperson is a problem solver, right? So if I came to y'all and said, hey, I got this line of studio lights. I'd love to see, you know, I could blah, blah, blah. Y'all are going to ignore me, right? If I come to you and go, hey, I know a company wants to sponsor your podcast. Now I got your attention. Mm -hmm. What I'm really doing is solving a problem. And it may be a problem you don't even know you have. You may not have even thought yet, hey, we'd be cool to have a sponsor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I know it's a problem that you're dealing with. So a good salesperson is a problem solver and you do your work up front. I could tell you story after story after story in the last couple of years where I've sent one or two emails to very senior, you know, CEOs of major companies and they reply back to me instantly on a Sunday. <laughs> Why? Because I knew the problem that they were facing yeah. um, and, I, and I described it in details. And, and so in today's world, that's what it is. The future is going to change that. So don't become a problem solver and think that you could be able to be a problem solver and good salesperson in the rest of your life. Another five or 10 years, it's going to change a bit again. Mm -hmm. uh, we do these predictions every year. So literally in November, which is today's November 1st, I will release our predictions for 2019. Mm -hmm. One of my predictions is going to be around just this, how sales has changed, especially, yeah, yeah, and will continue to change, yeah. 
mean, so technology is changing all over. Yeah, well, I mean, it's and I, I could literally eat up your whole show <laughs> talking about sales, salesmanship, sales process, sales enablement. Um, I firmly believe that a good salesperson now needs to understand marketing. Doesn't necessarily mean they need to do it; they need to understand it, right? I can go to any salesperson that calls me LinkedIn page, and within three seconds, I can tell if he's a good salesman or not, depending on how his LinkedIn profile is written. So, why right? do you say that? Like, why do you say marketing is so important to sales? Like, how does that? I can understand of okay, yeah, they need to get out there and whatnot, but how, how do you see that? So I see sales and marketing, for years they were totally separate functions, and in oil and gas they still are. They don't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Marketing is about generating leads. Sales is about taking that leads and turning it into revenue, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's the basic definition of two groups. Well, now the marketing team needs the information that's in the salespeople heads. Remember I told you sales is now about problem solving? So if I'm a salesperson and I'm calling on you know, Caterpillar, the bulldozer company. And I've heard from two or three Caterpillar reps that they're having trouble because the start button used to be red, now it's blue. I can go back to my marketing team and go, hey, this is a bit of information. My marketing team go, hey, let's do this whole marketing campaign on the difference in button colors for Caterpillar bulldozers, right? We could do social media, um, we could target specific people. You could literally do Facebook ads where you target people that have a Caterpillar driver in there, uh, mm -hmm. that's what they do yeah. for a living. But without that little crucial bit of information that's in the salesperson's head, the marketing people don't know what to do. At the same time, if you're a salesperson and you work closely with your marketing and they, they, they capture those people that are confused by button colors, you're now the problem solver. You sell them the buttons, all right? So if you have the buttons, you'll make the sale. Yeah, see what I'm saying? This yeah, how they're joined. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we go forward in time, as we become closer and closer, I think there's gonna be a new hybrid position created. So in the world of tech, you have the IT guys and you have the business, no matter what type of vertical you're working, oil and gas, big box retail, medical, whatever. And they, in the last five years, they've all created this position called a business analyst. And what that business analyst is, is literally a translator. They understand IT jargon and what IT can do. They understand what the business do and they translate because they these two groups can't talk to each other. Exactly. I think you can see the same thing happen with sales and marketing. I think you see this other third um, position start to grow where you have one foot in marketing, one foot in sales. You still have a quota, but at the same time, you design marketing campaigns, right? And I think that's where it's going. So you're saying there might be like a maybe like a new job position, yeah. as a, like instead of a business analyst, it would be like like a marketing sales guy, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So how would you actually? Okay, so you really need to focus on marketing and sales. So how would you actually get a merge of the two? How would you get it to? So they're getting the taste of both worlds kind of thing, that they get to start to learn. That. So I've actually done this not on purpose, but several times in my own market research business because when we would come into a new company, I'd have to get everybody in the room that has an interest in being successful. That typically was the head of sales, head of marketing. And, I would, and I've heard this from some extremely large corporations over and over again. I have the marketing guy look at the sales guy and go, we sent you all 3,000 leads last month and you didn't convert any of them. And the sales guy will look at the marketing guy and go, they suck. You know what that is? That's a lack of communication. Mm -hmm. The marketing guy understands the tools and the process. He needs somebody to point him in the right direction. The sales guy knows the right direction, but he's not talking to the marketing guy. You get them together, and that's all you need to do. And one of the things that I suggest, and, and people hate me for this, especially the marketing people, I say you quit paying your marketing people a base plus some type of um, bonus and start tying them to sales commissions. When the marketing people get paid on how good the sales guys are going, it all fixes itself. So a little bit of a merge of you can... If you say that you're the manager, you can start to incentivize actually working together, putting yeah. together that team. Yeah, because right now the salespeople have no incentive to talk to marketing um, because they don't think marketing is valued because they don't understand this new world we're heading into. And I say that, I'm talking about oil and gas. Uh, the tech industry globally gets it, has gotten it for years. Oil and gas is a little bit behind everything else.
Okay, so how do you actually, so is that a little bit what you do now is that you're actually pulling them up and you're pulling them up to speed on how to do the sales and the marketing or? Close. So I get paid to speak, but I'm not a motivational speaker because I, I can't really motivate myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a business speaker. And so one of the many things we talk about in oil and gas is I will, a sales organization will bring me in to talk to them about how sales is changing in the oil and gas industry, mm -hmm. what you need to know, what you don't need to know, what used to work that doesn't work anymore, what it will work in the future. But I'm also get paid by marketing teams to come in and understand how marketing has changed, right? Uh, unfortunately, in, in oil and gas, things like marketing automation is still new. And it's amazing. I know some very big companies out there that have no marketing automation there. I mean, we're a little bitty company and I have marketing automation everywhere, cool. you know. Um, and so so that's one of the ways I help, but I don't do it. I help them talk through it so they can do it themselves. I help them talk through it so they can build a roadmap because I really think that bringing a consultant in to help fix your company is the wrong way to do it. You need to fix it yourself. Now, you may need help. And in my case, I'm just the guy drawing the map and helping you get there. Interesting, interesting. So you're drawing the map, you're helping them get there and whatnot. So with that being said, so you're actually, you're teaching them how to work it. You're teaching them how to actually craft essentially their company and how they're able to craft a better sales. And so in all of your years of sales, like you've obviously faced many closed doors, many shots of rejection and whatnot, many basically roadblocks. So how do you get past that? How do you get through that? Or now that you're teaching everyone, how do you teach them to basically look at that, look a no straight in the face and continue going? It's knowledge. You need to understand why there was a no. And the truth is, if you're a good salesperson, you should know that no is coming. If you don't, you miss something in the past, right? Too many salespeople too worry about closing a deal. And, and the reason too many salespeople worry about closing a deal is too many salespeople have their sales manager on their butt saying you need to hit this quota. In oil and gas, sales cycles last a year. Mm -hmm. Well, if your quota is every month and the sales cycle is a year, those two don't match. That's a bad sales incentive program. So that goes up to leadership. Um, so that goes to the very top of the company, how they structured their bonus program for their sales reps. Um, and of course, I now forgot what you really asked me. So basically like, Facing rejection. Whatever oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So the no thing, you need to understand why there's a no. There could be a no because you literally talked to the wrong person. Mm -hmm. They couldn't afford you. I see this all the time. Price should come up as soon as quickly. So in our case, if we say a pod, if you want to sponsor a podcast, one of the first things in my mouth is 60 grand a year to sponsor a podcast. If people go, oh my God, well, I know I shouldn't be talking to them. Whereas I'm talking to somebody like Exxon or Microsoft, I go 60 grand to go and. So <laughs> yeah. now I know I'm talking to the right person. Exactly. The other thing is a lot of times the no is out of fear and the salesperson can use that to your advantage. I'll give you a perfect example. So you know what RFP is? Request for proposal, okay. right? So somebody like you know Chevron, if they want to buy whatever, they'll send an RFP to everybody that sells that, mm -hmm. try to level the playing field. And the fact that they all know they're competing will make them lower their prices. That's uh, the purpose of RFP. Yeah. So my old modal point, we never responded to RFPs. If you ask me to do an RFP, I'll go, no. I'm not doing it. And they'll go, why? I goes, because if you don't see the value in working with me, I'm not, no, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. But if you were to enter an RFP and you lost, most salespeople go, shit, that's a no, I've lost. So we're only to look at it. The very first thing you should do as soon as you lose that RFP is go to the guy that you're talking to and go, can I be the backup vendor? You know, in case the guy that won it that you pick does something wrong, I'll be there as a backup vendor. Nobody says no to that, right? So you take that's a awesome. no and then guess what? About 7% of the time that the guy that won it messes up and you get the business anyway. Oh, so you basically just insurance. Right. And 
because he's given you permission to stay in touch because you now your backup vendor you can stay in touch with him the whole time whereas if you just took the RP said no you never talk to the guy again so see how I took something that was a negative that was a rejection and it's not really it's an opportunity but I'm only able to do that because I've been doing it for so long you don't learn stuff like that your first year so for any beginning salespeople out there give it some time never quit learning read every sales book you can none of them are the right one right you'll take a bit from this one a bit from this one a bit from this one and you'll develop yourself as a good salesperson then remember it's going to change so what works for us now is not going to work for us in 2025 we'll be in a different place then interesting that's that's really interesting how it's it's not necessarily a no. It's basically, okay, that particular thing didn't work, so you're able to go at it and find So let me give you another example. So you'll hear this a lot with big business. Um, I don't have budget for that. Well, what you need to understand, and once again, this is back to a salesperson being educated, you need to understand finance better than your clients, right? You need to understand budgets. So in most big companies, there's several budgets. One's the OPEX budget. One's the CAPEX. OPEX is what runs your business, what pays your electricity bill, your rent, everything. Nobody has to worry about that budget. It's your capex. This is stuff I'll spend for next year. Typically, the end of the year before you go through the budgeting process, you get approval for everything. And now, if you want to buy something that next year that's not in your budget, you can't because it wasn't put in, right? So, but guess what? Why don't you just move it to the opex budget? So, if I'm selling something that costs a million dollars, the guy goes, "I don't have a million dollars in my budget." I go. What if I rent it to you? What if I just charge you ten thousand a month? That, well, that now hits his opex budget. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, I probably have to explain to him that he doesn't understand their own budgets work. Mm -hmm. But once I move it to the opex budget, it just paid for. It's it, not approved. It's worry free, basically. Yeah, and because it's more like a fixed yeah. cost. Mm -hmm. So see how I took once again a no, and because of experience. I had to help my buyer buy from his own company. We'll just move it over. I'll call it a lease instead of you buying it. Now it hits your opex budget. So you're taking no's to yeses, mm -hmm. and like, yeah. and how do you how do you like obviously you have the experience but how do you like how do you get that no to a yes basically in the future but like how do you know which one like what strategy to use so there is no strategy to make somebody buy something they don't want quit freaking doing that people you can't make somebody buy they don't want you can't force it down their throat and if you did do you really want that business the guy's not gonna like you so you can't always make a no into a yes what you can do is eliminate the number of no's you get right because you're going after the wrong people you're telling the wrong story you're not being upfront about pricing you start having some basic good sales practices like that you eliminate the number of no's because you're eliminating the people that would say no Make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. You're simply becoming a better problem. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So you've obviously worked with tons and tons of people in sales and also teaching them. So what would you say are a few characteristics that you've seen? In if you see that characteristic, you know they're going to be a great salesperson, or if they can develop that characteristic, they're going to become a great salesperson. So my old answer to that was somebody that was very um, had a high level of perseverance, somebody that was okay with rejection, and somebody that was okay with a variable income. Mm -hmm. That's not what I say anymore. What I say now is, is it somebody that gets joy out of learning? Is are are you the type of person that when you have nothing else to do, you crack open a book, right? Or you pull out your phone and you start surfing the web. I don't mean playing video games. I mean learning, right? And especially learning things that you don't know now. That's the sign of a good salesperson. Anybody that constantly learns, like I now have a VP of sales. Um, the reason I brought her on board, she knew nothing about podcasting, knew very little about the oil and gas industry. She was a constant learner, right? And in a matter of a couple of months, she's now equal to my, my to me. Another month or two, she'll be ahead of me, right? Why? Because she never quits learning. Exactly. Yeah. So interviewing inspiration, basically, never stop learning. Even I know we're all in school, if you're not, but like, Always, always use the technology that we have now to keep on learning. Obviously, Mark believes that's a huge thing, and then use them to. I, I can actually explain to you how quantum computing works right now. 
Really? I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a, a tech guy, but I'm learning about new things. I can talk That's to awesome. you about artificial intelligence and SEO. Mm -hmm. Right. Once again, I'm not a marketing guy, but I'm learning. Right. And in all kinds of fields yeah. as well. Yeah. Not just what you're. You, you need to learn stuff that's outside your comfort zone. So, so I really don't spend a whole lot of time learning about oil and gas anymore. I'm other stuff. I'm looking at yeah. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and you know every all this new technology, artificial intelligence. Um, we just came back from Calgary. I spent two days with IBM talking about their AI. How cool is it to talk to IBM about artificial intelligence? That's yeah, insane. that's incredible. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. So for that question, if you had someone that you're taking under your wing, say like a salesperson, and you wanted to get them to the top of sales field, you wanted to get them to the top of basically the industry, what would you have them do to become that? They what need would you have them work on. So they need a process, which doesn't have to be this 30-page Word document. It could be three bullet points. One of the first ones that needs to go on top is your dream client. Right. So in my case, Apple, if you're watching, you're my dream client. Right. Um, I'm pretty confident I will pick up one of the super majors, maybe one of the largest as a sponsor. The only company that can go bigger than that is Apple. Mm -hmm. So that's my dream client. So I now have a goal, a stretch goal. And it's not fantasy. I will get Apple at one point as a podcast sponsor. It's going on record now. So you need a dream client. The other thing though is you need a process. You need to figure out literally how many sales you need, whether it's dollars or number of sales. And then you got to figure out your closing ratio and you kind of work that backwards so you have a plan. I think planning is the most important thing in the world. So I know if I'm a salesperson, when I get up, I need to talk to three new prospects every day. Mm -hmm. And then you get that done at the beginning of the day, right, where your energy is the highest. Or if you're a nocturnal person at the end of the day, when you, you know, work when your energy is highest. Um, but without a plan, you're, you're, you're chasing and wasting time. And we all have the same amount of time and we're all time constrained. So by having an organized plan, you now use utilize your time to the best of your ability. And then we'll go back to, um, you need a mentor. So even I, it sounds so cocky, I, I, I have several mentors, mm -hmm. right? So people that have more knowledge and experience in something that you don't have, mm -hmm. so that you can ask questions in a trusted environment. So I'm actually mentor a lot of salespeople, young salespeople, and they'll come to me and ask me questions that they won't ask their management, because their management is work, they get paid, mm -hmm. and they're a little nervous about mm -hmm. acting like, they, or coming across like they don't know something. Mm -hmm. So get a mentor, get several mentors. Um, and then, like I said, never stop learning, never stop learning, and that includes the sales process. There's a lot of new tools out there for sales people that you know there's a lot of sales enablement tools out there most sales people know exist actually can make your job easier so um, dream client um, mentors never quit learning process interviewing inspiration you just got amazing tips from mark he has years of experience in sales oil and gas hope you really got these down uh, you can't get these anywhere else just getting it from a person that knows what he's doing thank you so much for being in our show we really appreciate you. you're gonna help many people get inspired uh, and we'll see you next week from everyone here at Interviewing Inspiration, we'd like to say thank you for all of our listeners and all of the people who have supported us. We'd also like to say thank you for the people in Interviewing Inspiration who has made this possible. Parshva Adani, our co-owner and producer. Matthew Regali, the head of business development and operations. Avin Passoir, the creative director. Matthew Martinez, the business and technical advisor. We'd also like to give a special thank you to Mark LaCour for helping us get started up. He's actually got some podcasts of his own. Go check them out. They're about oil and gas, and they're actually really great. In addition, Cameron Turin, the creator of our music for this podcast, and everyone who has come on the show to be interviewed and share their knowledge. Thank you.